Kei te whakaronga mai, koe ki nga pātaka kōrero o Tamaki Makoto. You're listening to an Auckland Libraries podcast. For, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community there that celebrates it and connects to it. At the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through to the present and then on to the future, hopefully, if we do our jobs right. Welcome to the Heritage Talks podcast, bringing you the best in family and local history from New Zealand, the Pacific and beyond. Your heritage now. Kia ora koutou. Welcome back. Today we continue our series recognising the work of students awarded summer research scholarships by the University of Auckland and supported by the Auckland History Initiative. Brooke Stevens was the recipient of a Jonathan and Mary Mason Scholarship in Auckland History at the University of Auckland. Her project considers the role and contribution of women to Auckland's political scene from the late 1930s and 1940s. Through the analysis of two influential female politicians, Brooke explores the intersection of politics, gender and socio-cultural relations. Alright, so good afternoon everyone. Um, as Jess has just mentioned, my name is Brooke and I've spent my summer researching two of Auckland's female politicians from early mid 20th century. So my focus was not on writing a biography for these women, as I hardly had time for such a task. Uh, rather, I wanted to use them as a lens to explore some of Auckland's political events, political movements and political tools utilised by female politicians uh, at the time. So while still being quite a large task, this was far more manageable in a 12-week program. So for my presentation today, I will be looking at two women, Mary Newton and Mary Drever. Firstly, I will give you a brief overview of their life and achievements. Secondly, I will go through how the intersection of gender and politics has manifested itself in these two women's political lives. Thirdly, I will look at some of the cultural influences on Mary Newton in particular and how this has affected her political agenda. And lastly, I just want to quickly delve into a few case studies of political events that these two women were involved in. So firstly, uh, I will briefly go through some of the background and achievements of each woman so we feel we can get to know them a little better. So Mary Newton is really interesting. Her life and achievements had never been studied before in any serious capacity, which meant she had a particular significance for me when I was completing my research. She was born in 1888 and was of Te Atiawa tribe descent of Taranaki. It is evident through her political work that her multicultural identity was an integral part of who she was. Now, Newton had mastered the art of the social occasion. Due to her organisational prowess, she hosted many political networking and educational events within the Onehunga Mangere community. In addition to working in politics, she was a well-known social welfare worker and was a first-grade interpreter of te reo. She founded the Tamaki branch of the Māori Women's Welfare League and was the second Māori woman to be honoured with the Justice of the Peace position in 1937. Following this appointment, she was voted into Onehunga Borough Council in 1938 and had a successful two terms in office. So the woman I chose to compare and contrast alongside Newton is the much more well-known Mary Drever. So uh, she is a celebrated figure in Auckland, even New Zealand history. I'm sure a few of you recognise the name in relation to the politician herself, or perhaps in the street that was named after her in New Windsor. So Mary Drever was a European woman with a strong trade unionist father and came from a progressive labour-orientated family. 
She joined the Women's International and Political League in 1922 and the National Council of Women of New Zealand in 1923. Through these roles, she was often put forward as a Labour candidate through which she sat on the Auckland Hospital Board and Auckland City Council. Dreba won through a by-election the Waitemata seat and entered Parliament in 1941. She was the third woman in New Zealand to do so. She was in the House for two years, where she spoke up on a number of issues such as healthcare and female matters. One of her greatest achievements was introducing a bill into Parliament that resulted in women being able to sit on juries, which we'll touch on a little bit um, at the end of my presentation. So, to the intersection of gender and politics. So, Dreva and Newton both exemplify differing feminine approaches to politics that does not fit within the mainstream political system that was dominated by men. Dreva worked within the traditional male sphere, dominating the political arena with her oratory skills, presenting the female perspective. Newton, on the other hand, tended to favour using building connections and creating a, space of, uh, creating a space of awareness of feminine political issues. So Newton was the networker. Deeply ingrained into her community, she hosted many social events. Most prominently, this was in her capacity as secretary of the social committee of the Epsom Oak branch of the Labour government. On these Sunday afternoon events, issues were discussed, promoted, debated, and lectured to a room full of people interested in the female sphere. Issues such as abortion, pregnancy, women in politics, and raising children, just to name a few. Now, Dreva, on the other hand, was a powerful public speaker. Through this political tool, she would often bring forth the female perspective into parliamentary speeches. Now, so beside me right here, we have a quote from her very first speech in Parliament. Now, I'm going to paraphrase here, but Dreva makes the point that her presence in Parliament is the answer to the common thought that making laws is a job for men only. This warning was a well-founded one, as Dreva took her responsibility for being one of the few women in Parliament very seriously. She knew the importance of such a role, offering the female perspective on matters such as repatriation and social welfare. So these two women show that they tended to favour uh, differing approaches towards a female-orientated social reorganisation. But beyond using their feminine expertise and experience to push political agendas, the women will also use their own life and cultural experiences to alter their political paths within the Labour Party. Newton was closely connected to the Māori community. Dreva, in comparison, growing up with a tradesman father, largely centred her politics around the progressive Labour sphere, showing a political interest in the betterment of healthcare. However, today, just due to time, I would like to focus on Newton. So during Newton's two successful terms on the council in the years 1938 to 1944, a strong theme emerges through Newton's work, the advancement of the Māori community. Examples of Newton's advocacy are countless. Newton made a point to push for greater jobs for Māori workers on the Scheme 13 project and advocated for One Tree Hill to have its name officially be recognised by Auckland councils as Mongakiki for the centennial celebration in 1940. Not only this, she moved that a subcommittee be set up directly relating to uh, dealing with poor Māori housing in the area. In addition to Newton's political advocating, she was also a great promoter of Māori arts and culture. Newton's social and organisational prowess would have been used to create social harmony between the mix of European and Māori culture. Not only this, but the, evidence, the events she organised often had a political element where the Māori culture was brought to the forefront of the political realm. A few examples of this are Newton organising a Māori farewell for Mr W.J. Jordan, MP, 
in a Māori ceremony where 56 girls from Queen Victoria Māori Girls College took part in the farewell. She also welcomed the Prime Minister, Michael Joseph Savage, to the Māori Oiraki village by hosting the afternoon tea, taking place before the, tradition, uh, before the traditional hangi. Newton, I think, deserves credit for her political mind in this respect, as these displays of Māori culture were a way to create political bonds and a working relationship between the two cultural groups. So lastly, I would just like to do a very quick highlight into a few major events that Newton and Dreva were involved in. Firstly, Mary Newton's involvement in the Mungary housing crisis in the early 1930s and the deep effect it had on the Māori community in Auckland. Reports of families living in tin sheds, children turning blue from cold, epidemics sweeping the slums, and children going shoeless and lunchless to school are just a few of the stories reported in the Auckland Star. Focusing on the reporting of the crisis, Newton's involvement came from her fundraising and political efforts to draw attention to the terrible conditions. Donating land herself and organising the Tamaki Māori Women's Welfare League to gather support, she advocated for government funding to support the local Māori. Newton's important role as an advocate for the Māori community was not lost on her when she said a welfare worker was needed to understand the Māori heart. She stated in an interview that the Māori would not cry out, that they would sooner starve. Mm. Secondly, the triumph of Dreva's introduction of the Woman Jurors Bill into Parliament, which eventually passed into law in 1942. A study of her emotive speech at the second introduction of the bill shows strong themes about the changing perspective of women and their place in society. One of the catalysts to this changing perspective was World War II. Dreva argues in her speech that women have proved to be capable as nurses and voluntary aides, and as a result, have been exposed to far worse conditions and stresses than they could ever face in a criminal trial. She does, however, concede that women tend to be the more emotional sex, however, states the strength in such a trait with the following quote. I do not think we need fear either in regard to the emotional side, because in many cases, it would be just as well to import a little of the emotional side, Indeed, it would be a good innovation. Up next, Auckland Library's oral historian Sue Berman speaks with Brooke about her research journey. Fantastic topic. Yeah. Tell um, me a little bit about your coming to that. Um, I don't know. I had a few ideas going into the summer research project. Um, I don't know, I knew I was really interested in women in politics in particular because my other degree that I do is a law degree. So um, how politics kind of ties into the law and everything like that. And then, um, yeah, I, don't know, I just think women had quite a draw for me. Um, I think that there is a lot of amazing undiscovered women in the political scene and I actually found one of them in particular when I was doing my research and I focused a lot of my project around her. Um, her name was Mary Newton, mm -hmm. which is um, quite exciting for me to have found someone like that. Um, and been able to really like explore her contributions to Auckland. It was really amazing, actually. Well, that's really interesting because it's not a name. You know, we think Elizabeth Yates mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. all of those better known women politicians around Auckland. So it yeah. sounds like you maybe are bringing light to a new person. Yeah, I I mean I don't know. I I, I think she deserves it. Like mm. I think she has done amazing things, and it's just amazing she hasn't been. Incredible she hasn't been uh, looked at before or anything like that because um, what she did for the community and then also her own personal achievements. Um, she was the second Māori 
woman to be awarded with the Justice of the Peace position in 1937. Um, she sat on the Only Hunger Council for two terms. She got voted in twice. Um, so yeah, I think she, among many other things. So I think it was just, it was, I felt very privileged to be able to be looking at her. It was really, really awesome. So tell me um, how you came across her and what tools you used, I suppose, mm-hmm. and who you worked with to discover more about her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vicky from the Council Archives was amazing for this. So I went to her with my topic about um, like women in local politics, kind of really wanting to get into the, the nitty gritty councils of Auckland and everything like that. And she just was fantastic. She had so many ideas for me. And then one of the women she pointed out in particular was this Mary Newton. And she had come across her in her own kind of research on a bit of a broader scale. And she just didn't have the time herself to look into it. And she just said it would be amazing if you could. And of course, I was so excited. So um, yeah, that was really, really exciting, actually. So that was kind of how it came about. Um, But yeah. So you used effectively council records Mm -hmm. um, to map her political journey. Were you able to discover any sort of family history or personal information mm-hmm. about her and what did you use for that? Um, so it was so tricky because I only had 12 weeks and of course I also <laughs> did um, Mary Drever at the same time oh, okay. so I had to really balance my time. Um, but yeah I think that was also something that was really special about her is because no one had ever looked into her. I didn't know when she was born or when she had died or where she lived or where she moved or uh, marriages and, and, and uh, sons and daughters and everything like that. So I, I found out a little bit. I found out she had two kids. Um, she was married. Um, she lived in Auckland. She owned quite a lot of property. So things like that. I actually went out to um, the New Zealand archives out in Mangere and I found um, a lot of like, uh, what is it called? Buying and selling. The land title Yeah, deeds. yeah, yeah, yeah. I found a lot of land title deeds. Um, and yeah, so looked into that, which was really, really interesting. So I definitely found out a lot of facts about her, charted a bit of a biography, but I also did really want to focus on her achievements and contributions to the community because I felt like that had a richness to it that I wanted to present. Mm-hmm. But hopefully um, she'll be looked at more and we can definitely chart a bit more of a biography for her. I think it would be, it was really important. Yeah. Fantastic. And you mentioned that you also worked with another story, mm-hmm. Mary, Mary Drever. Um, so Mary Drever is much more well-known. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of her. She was um, an Auckland politician. She ended up being the third woman in Parliament. Um, so she's pretty amazing. She uh, spoke up a lot in her parliamentary speeches, which was co- kind of what I focused on, um, was all the Hansard historical records of her um, political speeches. And I just definitely noticed a, a trend of her putting the female perspective on a lot of issues that she found in Parliament. And you can tell she took that role quite seriously. She um, did... Uh, she she would often say, as a woman, I feel like this is really important for me to say to like the parliament full of men. Um, so that was really, really amazing to chart from her, which was kind of her contributions in that respect. Mm. Tell us a little bit about using Hansard as a research mm-hmm. tool. Mm-hmm. Um, Hansard was actually quite tricky to get through. I'm not going to lie. It, it was very long, very tedious. I ended up having to print out pages and pages worth of speeches and parliamentary records just to be able to get a handle on on reading them and highlighting and everything. Uh, it was definitely an experience. It definitely took me a long time, but um, I, I loved all of it. It was amazing and just seeing the, the discourse in, in the parliament and when people would interrupt and, and or correct or, yeah, it, it was definitely, I loved it, very, very interesting, but it was a lot to get through. <laughs> yeah, because it's a short period of time, hey, 12 mm. weeks. Yeah. 
Is there something you want to add just in finishing a reflection on your research journey uh, for future scholars? Oh, um, gosh, I would say that it has been a really rewarding experience. I've loved all of it. Um, I definitely feel very lucky to have been given this opportunity to do this research, feel very privileged. Um, and just I think about the doors that's opened for me in terms of uh, just like being able to work on actual like archives and primary documents, which you, you don't often get to do in a history degree. So that was really amazing working with those primary sources, um, just meeting all the amazing people that helped. Everyone's so passionate that works in this sector and all like the library and the council archives. Everyone was just so helpful and it was just a really amazing experience and I'd recommend it. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for tuning in. The Heritage Talks podcast is produced regularly for your education and enjoyment. Talk notes are found on the Talks page at soundcloud.com. All links are in the Talk notes.